AJ, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Appreciate you for your time. Um, can you let the listeners know a little bit about your yourself, maybe your uh, your background and kind of uh, how you got where you are? Sure, sure. So, um, so maybe maybe I'll take a uh, I'll do a little bit of a quicker intro and then we can dive deeper if um, if you have questions. But I am uh, originally from Philadelphia um, or outside of Philadelphia in South Jersey. Um, went to the Naval Academy in Annapolis um, for undergrad, was an engineering major, was a nuclear engineer in the Navy uh, for five years, decided that uh, I wanted to uh, learn uh, about business and so decided to go to business school, where I went, I ten, uh, sorry, I attended Wharton. And then um, in 2008, graduated right in time for the financial crisis, worked on Wall Street for uh, 12 years and recently left about a year ago to uh, start more entrepreneurial ventures. Um, and so that's the, you know, that's for the, the quick and skinny, um, you know, happy to, to go any deeper in, in any of that. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for that overview. What type of kid were you? What were you into kind of growing up? Were you yeah. in finance or like? Uh... I was, you know, I was always a worker. Um, so interestingly, my, you know, I started working when I was seven years old, my mom. So I grew up a single mother household. My mom was a, by day, uh, worked in the accounting department for a glass manufacturer, uh, a job that she had for 40 years. And um, she decided at some point that she wanted to start a janitorial service and, um, and that her first client would be actually the glass company that she worked for. And so because she worked in accounts receivable, she saw how much they were paying this janitorial service and heard through the office that people weren't happy with the service. And so when they were looking for a new, um, you know, party to come in and, and clean the offices, she had sort of the insider information on what the pricing was and put an appropriate bid in and got it with no experience cleaning anything <laughs> professionally. And so she won. Uh, and uh, I was her first employee at the age of seven. Um, so, um, so, you know, that was, that was, you know, me, I was always very, very focused on making money because I think my mom was, uh, also very, it made me very aware that I would only be able to afford the things I wanted if I paid for them for myself. And so, uh, I remember she gave me, uh, the day she hired me, she gave me a little ledger book and, um, allowed me to sort of write down the accounts I was helping her with. So you know, $7 for the doctor's office, $5 for the bank, uh, you know, $13 for the, the convenience store. And, and every two weeks she would pay me. And so that was uh, my first entree into, you know, anything related to finance and, and, uh, and money and money management. Um, but that was, yeah, pivotal to me because it really got me focused about earning uh, at an early age and um and focused on sort of you know what i could do to you know be entrepreneurial um outside of work i was i was really into sports um i grew up in the country uh in a little farm town called woodstown new jersey so population five thousand people and you know the reality was there wasn't much to do outside of sports and so i was always outside playing um soccer basketball baseball um skateboarding um, I was pretty active um, and I was a, I was a kid who got bored easily. And so I was, uh, I tended to be outside, you know, quite a bit playing with my friends and just doing, you know, normal kid stuff. Yeah, no, I love that. 
And um, so what type of like, like when you're getting into high school, where's your mindset at? Like, yeah, thinking about military, are you thinking about like no. Wall Street, like what, what do you say in high school? It's, Yes. Yeah, so, um, so the military really came to me and my, you know, again, like my, my mom, she didn't have any military background and no one in my family, she's one of five children. None of my uncles or aunts uh, were in the military. And there's no real history there. Uh, you know, I learned about the military really and the Naval Academy uh, because my town for whatever reason, always, although it was small, always sent the top graduate to West Point. Um, and so that was just a, a tradition in my town. If you were the top athlete, top student, you didn't apply to Harvard or Princeton or anywhere else you went to West Point. And so that was always, you know, kind of in the back of my mind. When I was in the sixth grade, my uh, sixth grade teacher, his son was a West Point grad. And this was during the first uh, Persian Gulf War. And we, as a class, would write uh, his son Brett a letter uh, every, you know, every couple of weeks. And he would write back while he was on deployment as a helicopter pilot uh, in the Persian Gulf. And when he came back from deployment, he came into class and presented to us. And, you know, we were all blown away. We thought he looked like a real-life G.I. Joe, right? Sure. And so, you know, immediately, me and all of my buddies said, you know, we're going to West Point. We want to be just like him. And that was really the inception of, of the idea. Um, in my mind. And, um, you know, I was the only person to kind of keep that going all the way through high school. Um, you know, what I realized, I think at some point in high school, and I was a good student, um, not early on, but over time, I realized, you know, look, and it was somewhat related to me, you know, being interested in making money, I said, I'll realize that I had to do well in school in order to, you know, go to the right college in order to get the right job. And I put that logic together pretty early on probably in the third or fourth grade um and then you know by the time i got to the high school i was yeah i was a good student um but my you know my mom uh and my family wasn't wouldn't have been able to afford uh you know without a lot of financial aid a very good education and so for me you know west point all of a sudden turned into an opportunity to go to an amazing school and get a, you know, exceptional education and also do it for free. Right. So, um, and so the value for me was uh, pretty unprecedented. There weren't really many other options that allowed me to do that. Um, at, so, at some point is in my junior year in high school, I found out about the Naval Academy. I didn't even know the Naval Academy existed before then and happened to um, go to a presentation. There was a, a blue and gold officer, uh, who came into, who's a recruiter sort of for the Naval Academy, who came in and presented to our high school physics class. And um, I, you know, went to the presentation and then applied for a, a summer camp, essentially, at the Naval Academy. Went down there and loved it. Um, you know, it was in the summer and, you know, I don't know if you've been to Annapolis, but it's a beautiful little town. You know, it's, you know, the campus is, is really beautiful. It's an old historic um, uh, national sort of treasure. Um, it's right on the Severn River, you know, in the summer there's boats and sailing and it looks, you know, like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I'd been up to West Point um, to see that as well. And West Point, when I was there, it was in the winter and the skies were gray and the buildings were gray and all the uniforms are gray. And it didn't take long for me to say, you know what, maybe this other place <laughs> might, be a, might be a better option. And so um, yeah, I decided to go to, I got into West Point, got into 
the Naval Academy, and I had applied to UVA, actually, mm. through ROTC and got a full ROTC scholarship, um, but decided to go to Annapolis in the end. Um, just, you know, it's, it's where I felt the, the best fit. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And like, so by high school, you were achieving and you were really kind of like, it sounds like you were a performer, you were a good student, like, right. what type of like, prep work were you doing in high school? I, I know we have somewhat younger listeners starting to listen, sure. but like, what type of things were you doing in high school? Were you taking like classes to get uh, prepared? Were you, um, yeah, you know, you, you said you were kind of, you had folks coming in and speaking to your, to your class and that kind of sure. thing, like, how'd you get good at it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, early on, my mom got me a computer. Um, and, the, you know, this was when I was probably five, six years old. And the first games that I remember playing were math games. And um, I would just, you know, I would just play those games, you know, nonstop. Um, and so I was always, you know, sort of, I was, I felt like that was good practice for me um, when I was, you know, in the earlier years. In my first three years of school, though, I was horrible. Like I didn't, you know, I got F's on my report card. I was, you know, almost got left back in like maybe the first or second grade. Um, and at some point, I remember this, you know, pretty distinctly. I, I thought, all right, well, this time, like, let me just see if I can do this. And I decided that I was just going to just do all my homework. <laughs> so that semester, did all my homework, made sure it was turning on time, and got A's and B's. And then the next semester, did the same thing, or next marking period, did the same thing, and got, you know, all A's and one B. And then from there, I just sent a snowball, and I just turned into a straight-A student. Really for no other reason than I just said, let me just try to do it. And, and so that, you know, that was kind of fourth and fifth grade. And, you know, at that time, my family moved from uh, one town to our neighboring town. And, you know, I'll tell you, like, for me, you know, it was really the biggest influence on me was probably my friends. Um, because when I moved, all of a sudden, my friends were talking to me about college in the fifth grade and they said, you know, I want to go to Georgetown. I want to go to UCLA. I want to go to Michigan. And I hadn't ever even considered, I didn't know what any of that was because no one in my family had ever gone to college. Hmm. So now I'm hearing about, you know, these kind of hopes and dreams of my friends and essentially just co-opted them for myself and said, all right, like, let me, this is what's cool here. So let me see what, you know, Georgetown's all about and let me learn about UCLA and, and Michigan and um and came to realize what they were what they represented and the opportunity that they would you know kind of present to me and so um that is really sort of how i got kind of focused on on doing well in school because i knew you had to do a certain you know achieve a certain level of success in middle school and high school in order to get into uh into a college like that and so i was um you know i was i was pretty focused on it and by the time you got to the Naval Academy, what were like some of your takeaways, I guess, in like discipline and kind of just like getting ready to think about, you know, your job after that? Like, yeah, yeah. Summarize yeah, yeah. it, if you will. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for the Naval Academy, it's interesting because when I went there, I was fully expecting not to do well. You know, I thought I'm from the small town, small high school, small league. Now I'm going to the big leagues and, you know, my, you know, A's and B's and and an honor roll is not gonna it's not gonna happen here anymore and and i had taken you know i'd taken the hardest classes i could take in high school so i was taking ap classes um, in high school which are you know college level classes and so i get to college and my first semester 
uh, I realized that all those hard classes I was taking in high school did exactly what they're supposed to do and prepared me for college. And so after the first semester at the Naval Academy, when I was fully expecting to have, you know, sort of C's, I got straight A's. Um, I had one B, so I had a 388 after my first semester. And, um, and after I, you know, after I achieved that, I realized that I couldn't just, you know, let myself off the hook, uh, so to speak. And so I just, you know, kept it going. But the Naval Academy, you know, also presented some other challenges um, because it's a military school. It's a completely different environment than, you know, a regular civilian university. It's uh, super challenging. Um, which is, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to go there um, was just to see if I could do it, you know, to be honest. Again, I didn't have someone, you know, telling me, you know, glory stories from their time in the military growing up. And so the military for me was just like a, a side effect of being able to get this great education um, and going through this hard challenge. Um, and it, that's exactly what it was. And so, you know, the Naval Academy not only prepared me for, my job in the Navy um, and then my career after that, but also just, you know, it, it taught me that I could do hard things and that hard things are important, right? Like, you know, challenge is important. Um, I decided to, uh, you know, as if the Naval Academy wasn't hard enough, I decided to box at Navy. I'd never boxed before. Everyone has to play a sport um, or do some sort of activity and my friends were boxing. And so I said, okay, let me try it out. Um, got in the ring, you know, the first day, you know, just didn't know what I was doing and, um, and realized that, oh, I mean, this is, this is something different. And like my athletic prowess in hoops and in soccer may not translate here, but I kept with it. Um, and over time, what I realized was that, you know, I started to get really good and the reason I got really good was because I would always fight better boxers um, to the point where at one point my, our coach, who was a crazy, <laughs> funny guy from Philadelphia, Irish guy, decided to take us up to a prison to box the inmates, right? And, and so, you know, I'm 19, going to this maximum security prison in Pennsylvania where they administer capital punishment and fighting an inmate, um, I'll tell you, man, I've never been more scared in my life. I've never been more intimidated in my life, but I survived and I got my, got my butt kicked. Um, but after that, I was all American boxer three years in a row. Um, I was never intimidated by another collegiate boxer because I always had that experience in the back of my head. Like no matter what this, you know, whoever I'm facing in the ring isn't as tough as that guy. And that's sort of, you know, one of the foundational moments in my life that, um, I've always sort of tapped into whenever I have to make a decision about, you know, easy versus hard, mm -hmm. I, you know, I always go the hard way. And that's been, that's really the, you know, if I could sum up any, you know, my, my entire career trajectory, you know, that's it. No, it's fantastic. Lots of gems there. What about, um, your career after? I mean, yeah. when did you start to think about like, okay, you've already had this thought about money, like early on you know you can achieve things that you put your mind to but like right how did you start to transition and think about okay i'm gonna i'm gonna work in uh i'm gonna work in the finance industry yeah yeah so i was always interested in how to make you know a dollar into two dollars i mean that was really that was really the the genesis of it and had uh just done a lot of reading on my own about how the stock market works 
how to invest. Um, anything I could get my hands on, if I had time, I would just try to read and, and just be up to speed on how to, how to navigate that world because I knew it was treacherous. I knew you could potentially lose a lot of money um, if you didn't know what you're doing. So I just wanted to be prepared. Um, and this was when I was in college. And so, you know, between colleges and, and Wharton, I had a five-year, uh, you know, stint in the Navy that I had to complete. But I always knew that I wanted to go back to business school. I always knew that um, that was uh, sort of the transition for me from kind of one world to another. And I'll say, like, you know, for me, that was one of the most um, instrumental uh, decisions of my life was to go to business school, especially out of the military. I think, you know, education, just generally speaking, is is a great way to transition from one career to another, whether you go to medical school, law school, business school, or you get a graduate degree in something else. It's just an, a, a very uh, good time to get out of the work you know, environment, take some time to kind of think and plan. Um, Wharton especially, or you know, it's really any top five business school is geared towards uh, allowing you to network and meet a whole new group of professionals that, you know, what I've now realized have become very close friends and uh, partners and, um, you know, family almost to me throughout my career, who are all doing amazing things on our own. But uh, business school specifically for me allowed me, yeah, the time to really think about what's next and then really learn um, about finance in a, a very material way. So I had kind of done some self-study, but nothing, you know, got me smart like, being in a classroom uh, and, and learning it and the fundamentals of that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what was like your first job? How, how did you, uh, how'd you get into it? What was that yeah. process yeah. like? Sure. So um, at business school, what they do is you come in, uh, you know, you come in day one and they say, all right, in 30 days, you need to figure out what you want to do. Uh, pretty much not, you know, not literally, but that's the, that's the sense. Um, I thought I would have two years to sort of try a lot of different things and, you know, explore. But the reality is there's too many options for you to explore everything. And so you have to get fairly focused uh, early on. So I knew finance was a thing. I didn't really know how broad finance was. Uh, I reached out to a military veteran who happened to work in Philadelphia at the time for Goldman Sachs and said something like, Hey, you know, I'm, new to Philly, a first year at Wharton, love to come and pick your brain on how I should think about navigating uh, in order to you know, make a right decision. And so he was gracious enough to invite me into Goldman Sachs offices in, in Philly and sit me down and say, all right, this is what finance is. And it's very broad. You need to pick like one specific area. Is it investment management? Is it sales and trading? Is it banking? Do you want to be in private equity? You know, these with your background, these are the places that you sort of want to you may want to focus on. And so that was really helpful. Just getting someone who'd sort of been there and done it um, to give me uh, advice on, on how to make uh, the right decisions at business school. And then it was, um, you know, it was just listening to my, you know, talking to my bunch of my classmates that had come from, you know, finance and wall street about their experiences and then listening to uh, so companies come and present on campus. And so one of the first companies that, that uh, I saw present was this firm called PIMCO Pacific Investment Management Company, uh, which at the time I didn't know nothing about. Um, I, I knew they were popular because everyone was in this room was, was filled, 
other than that, I didn't know anything about them. But I, after that, I left that presentation, I said, I want to work for these guys. You know, it just seemed like they uh, were very credible. They knew what they were talking about. They uh, just present themselves in such a way that it, again, like it seemed hard. And I knew they didn't cater towards military background. So it made me want it more, right? And um, the problem was though, I didn't know the first thing about a bond or I didn't know <laughs> the first thing about fixed income. Yeah. And so I had to learn it. Um, and again, like I didn't, it's another hustle. Like I didn't know, um, you know, the first thing about derivatives or anything like that. And I knew that this firm was very technical on the interview. And I wouldn't be prepared if I had just sort of studied the things I was learning in the core curriculum at, at Wharton. And so what I did was I found every second year a student at, at Wharton who had interned with PIMCO or who I had interviewed with PIMCO and took them all to lunch and said, what do I need to know for the interview, right? And we're just taking notes, just listening, taking notes. I did that for, you know, maybe a month um, and just, you know, first month of Wharton and, 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 created like a pretty long file of things that I needed to figure out and I needed to be able to answer. And so I went to Wikipedia, I went to Investopedia, I went to Google, I just did, you know, anything I could do to, to learn how to answer these questions. Um, because I knew that if I didn't get up to speed quickly, like I was had no shot at, at getting an interview with, um, with PIMCO, let alone getting a summer internship. Because again, I was competing with people who came from finance and came from the background that I was trying to go into. And so I needed to figure out how to compete. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, I got the interview with PIMCO and then did well in the interview and got the summer internship. And then um, wound up getting a full-time offer from the summer internship. And that's where I started my career on Wall Street. Oh, interesting. So you started there and yeah, and you were working on bonds because that's what they do is yeah. on the big bond shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so, um, so I was helping them raise money from large institutional investors. So I joined their, they have, their, you know, if you think about an investment management platform, there's a investing component. So the, the, the folks that are actually investing the money, you know, the people that are raising the money for the investors to invest. So I was on the capital raising team and I was raising money from, you know, corporate pension plans, foundations, endowments, started really focusing on insurance companies um, at the end and healthcare uh, provides so healthcare pension plans um, and did that for four and a half years um, and learned a ton. You know, again, I was coming in with, uh, with not a lot of experience in the space. And so I was just very, very focused on asking as many questions as possible as early as possible in order to, uh, in order to get the learning curve as quickly as possible. And, and, and that, yeah, that worked out for me well. What was like the pitching process like in that case when you're doing the capital raise and you're you're kind of traveling around and you, right. you're selling it, you know, you're selling this idea of like, give us the funds, right? We'll provide you with steady returns or we'll provide you with yep. security. Like what type of kind of takeaway do you like remember from that time that maybe you can apply to, uh, you know, your life today? Yeah, 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 yeah. And no, that's a great question. And I think there's there's one thing that's um, that I learned early on at Pimco that I still uh, practice today on a daily basis, um, and it's really that in marketing period, whether you're marketing a financial product, uh, an app, a tech you know instrument, a service, it's not about 
you know, your product. It's about what you're doing for the other person. It's about, you know, the user's goals and objectives and how you can help them get to where they want to be. And so at PIMCO, the one, um, you know, one of the things that our team always preached was you want to be a trusted advisor to your clients, right? It's not about coming in and pitching PIMCO product as much as it's coming in and understanding the problems that uh, your client is facing or a prospect is facing and how you can potentially be of service to them and helping them overcome that issue. Um, and if it's, you know, sometimes it's a product that we have that can be helpful. And sometimes it's just something else that we don't offer, but uh, because you know the market, you know where to, where to send, you know, your, your client in order to, to find a solution they're looking for. And it's something that I've always done in my career. It's something I still do today. And I think it's even pertinent today than you know, ever before because, it, you know, in any industry, when you're trying to market, there are a lot of other people trying to do the same thing you're doing. And the way you really, to me, uh, the way you rise above the noise is by being helpful and being solutions oriented for your, your client. It's not about me trying to jam you know, my solution into your problem. It's really me understanding your problem and applying a solution that I think could be helpful and being a guide for you and uh, helping you get to where you want to get. Oh, that's perfect. And so you, you left PIMCO and, and you worked at another firm after that or? I did, yeah. So I worked at PIMCO for five years, um, decided that uh, I wasn't learning as much as I was initially and I wanted to be learning about alternatives. And so this is around the time where you start to see a lot more hedge funds and private equity and um, uh, illiquid credit products being launched by different alternative investment platforms. I was really interested in doing that. And so I, I left PIMCO in early 2013 and joined a firm called Providence Equity Partners uh, in New York. Uh, and that was uh, Providence has a platform that is broad, has a traditional private equity uh, side of the business, and they had just acquired a large um, credit platform that they were building out. And so it gave me a chance to learn a different part of the credit markets that I didn't know before. And private equity, which is an asset class I hadn't uh, been familiar with uh, intimately in, in, from a working perspective before. And so the buyers of those type of investments are different than the buyers of you know the type of investments I was selling at PIMCO. And so it gave me a whole new marketplace to, to map out. Um, I did that for two years, uh, then decided that I would uh, move to DC to take a job with EIG Partners, which is an energy and infrastructure investment platform. So private equity, but just for, for energy. Um, so again, now I'm talking instead of about uh, telecom and media and uh, education investments that were more tech focused at Providence, now I got the chance to learn about large infrastructure, power, energy, oil and gas pipeline, uh, more mature type investments with a different investment profile. And again, whole new set of investors, whole new set of relationships to build and a whole new category to sort of, to sort of map out. And was your work at the, uh, the last shop that you were at, was that more focusing on kind of buying and selling whole companies or, um, how was that like different? It, it was still, yeah. So it's still uh, on the, 
capital raising side, business the development raising. side. Yeah, exactly. So a again, fund and then that fund will go out and do the Right. Do exactly. The so the last thing I did at, at EIG Partners was help them raise a six billion dollar fund that then they would go and deploy over the next, you know, five years um, before they came back to market for for the next series. Makes sense. And so you, you left that and you decided you were going to strike out on your own right. walk through that process. How did your, you know, you've been in corporate world for a long time. Yeah. How do you make a decision and say, I'm going to leave and I'm going to, you know, go in this other path of this other challenge? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things happened. So I got married uh, in late 2018 and... Thank you. And, uh, you know, my wife and I said, you know, we would really like to take some time uh, to travel and take some time off of work. Um, just because one, you know, we wanted to be able to see what we could see before, you know, we started to try to have a family, which was, uh, which was a big reason, but also because I think we were both at a point in our careers where we weren't uh, learning again, we weren't really learning as much as we were initially. And, we wanted to sort of really think about how we wanted to be spending the rest of our professional lives and what we wanted to be working on. Uh, and that was a, a big part of it as well. So, yeah, so we took off from DC uh, in March of 2019 with the goal of traveling for 12 months, um, mostly internationally. And so we, yeah, we left DC and, and sort of went on this world tour, um, to again like you know just kind of experience new things and 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 get a new perspective and learn and also to think about how we wanted to be working going forward and i think you know early on in that in that process we realized that we wanted to be helping people um, and we wanted to be starting businesses that were primarily focused there and so um and so that's what, yeah, that's, that, that was inclusion. That's what we, uh, that's what we're doing now. What was something that was like just either surprising or like just interesting from the travel? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. I mean, we, we were coming up against problems all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we went to Zimbabwe uh, where, you know, we weren't really prepared for sort of the level of dysfunction that we, we saw, um, there's no, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but there's no money in circulation in Zimbabwe, no hard currency. Hmm. So we had just come from South Africa and landed in Zimbabwe and said, okay, like, like we have in every other place, we'll just, you know, get to an ATM, get some money and then be able to pay for stuff. There's no ATMs. And, uh, you know, worse than that, when we landed, we noticed that everyone in front of us was buying a visa to get into the country and paying with American dollars. We had three dollars like I had three singles in my in my wallet that had been like maybe buried in the, in the bottom of my backpack somewhere and so we got to the front of the line and and eventually we talk our way in um but it was you know it was a week that was very eye-opening in terms of just a different way of life than you know what we experience on a day-to-day -day basis this is a country that has really no middle class as far as I could tell um, you know, there's a lot of a large portion of the population has very little and a small percentage of the population has something, but there aren't any bar areas, you know, there aren't any sort of, uh, uh, like, what am I trying to say? There aren't any sort of places of leisure, 
um, it's, you know, people are either working or not working. And, and that's really, that's really it. So, you know, it was, it was, you know, experiences like that, that really made us, you know, one appreciate sort of what we have here and, and, uh, you know, come back with a different perspective than, than we left with. And I think we, you know, we grew from a lot of these experiences, just, you know, obviously traveling with your wife, you know, you know, matter anyone, but, uh, 24, seven, 365 is tough. And I think, you know, we, uh, we, we expedited our marriage a lot. And we like to joke that, you know, we've in dog years probably been married for 10 years yep. uh, because we've been around each other for so long. But, uh, but, you know, you really learn about yourself and you really learn about, you know, the other person when you, when you do something like that. So for us, it was, you know, super rewarding and valuable. And I know you sound like you've been in the corporate game longer than the entrepreneurial game, but right. what are your impressions, I guess, thus far on the decision that you all have made and um, just kind of the work that you're working today? Yeah, yeah, no, I think we we both feel very uh, engaged and we both feel very excited you know, sort of on a day-to-day -day basis. I think, you know, the, I love the work that I was doing before. Um, I think the difference is now, you know, we have to learn how to time manage, right? We have to learn how to, uh, where to focus our energy. We have to, uh, we have to really manage ourselves in terms of staying focused and not getting distracted. Um, and so these are things that we practice on a daily basis, just how to, you know, how not to, uh, to drop the ball on anything. I think the, you know, the nice thing about what we're doing now and really over the last year and a half has been the reality that, you know, we can learn whatever we want to learn. And so, you know, all I do is read books, you know, I'm just really, you know, using this time to, and I've used this time to re-educate myself. Um, on a lot of different things, but I've read books on philosophy, books on technology, books on innovation, books on like fictional books, you know, science fiction books, um, and just storytelling. I've, you know, taken a creative writing class. I've, um, you know, gotten really into technology and blockchain and, and done a lot of work there. Marketing has always been, you know, obviously an interest of mine. So I've gotten up to speed on like what the latest trends in marketing are, you know, just a lot of things that I always had an interest in that I didn't have the time to sort of pursue uh, when I was working full time. Um, now as an entrepreneur, you know, that's, that's really the name of the game is like, you know, picking what you want to learn, researching that, relaying that information back to the market, either through product or through content or, you know, ideally both. Right. And so in order to stay ahead of you know, not only the competition, but just to continue to progress and stay ahead of yourself um, and the people that you're kind of selling and, and marketing to, um, it's important to kind of stay on a forward learning path. And I think that's what, you know, we're both on right now. And it feels, it feels really good because, you know, we make progress every day on that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Do you want to like plug your work that you're doing now and kind of, you know, paint a picture, I guess, for sure. you know, the stuff that you're working on day in, day out? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we've been very um, focused on building community and specifically building communities, engaged communities around for purpose brands and uh, creative brands. So we have a view that, um, you know, young creatives and young artists need infrastructure beneath them in order to 
just survive in the world, whether you're a recording artist or a young startup, um, you know, we have business expertise that we can apply and allow young artists the space to continue to create. Um, and so we've done a lot of work around creating the infrastructure beneath, um, you know, those type of entities that allow it to happen. You know, blockchain is uh, a technology that's, you know, foreign to many people. It was foreign to me up until about a year ago. You know, I knew about blockchain because I had heard about Bitcoin. I had heard about cryptocurrency and, and all the volatility that was associated with, with uh, you know, those instruments. But beyond that, I hadn't really looked too closely at it. But, you know, as I've looked closer, um, what we've realized is that, you know, blockchain holds a lot of potential, you know, for society at large. And it, it takes us away from, uh, has the potential to take us away from this, sort of monopolistic uh, business environment that we've sort of gotten grown accustomed to, to one that's decentralized and owned by all. So for an example, um, there's a way through uh, blockchain to, uh, for the user to own the platform, right? And so imagine a, a Facebook where, you know, all the users uh, get compensated for their activity, for sharing, for liking, for posting, for creating content, right? Which should be the case. Uh, it should be the case that as a user, you know, you, your attention shouldn't be harvested to make money for a corporate entity. Your attention and your focus and your, you know, your contribution should go back into your own pocket and through blockchain. That's possible. And so as it relates to our work uh, with uh, AP Chemistry, is our company, um, we are using that same technology to help propel uh, these emerging artists and emerging creative brands, uh, you know, hired and raising awareness around them using this ownership structure. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty powerful thing. So we have, we launched a, a for purpose brand ourselves called friend that helped raise money is helping raise money for uh, equal justice um, in the U S uh, as in support of the black lives matter movement. We are starting actually to, uh, on Thursday, October 1st. Um, the second iteration of that is a, uh, is a friend challenge that we are, we are launching to help us all become better friends and put positive energy into the world. And, you know, we want these, uh, these movements that we're creating to, yeah, do just that, like put you know, positive energy into the world so that, um, you know, we can say we've, we made a contribution. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been great, AJ. I appreciate you for carving out the time. Where can listeners kind of follow you and connect with you uh, if they want to learn more? Yeah, sure. So I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Team Float. I'm on uh, Instagram at Alton Junior. That's A L T O N J U N I O R. You can follow us there. Uh, we have an Instagram site for AP Chemistry as well, which is A P C H M S T R Y. Um, and uh yeah so any one of those three places awesome thanks so much for doing this yeah no thank you